All right, here we go. Hot potato right out of the gate. Are you paying for an education or for a piece of paper? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be talking about the very beginning stages of entering the workforce today. Had some interesting conversations the last couple days. So we're going to kind of group those together, talk about the issues that are facing college kids today. And if you got kids that are getting ready to go to college, stick around. we got some information It's going to help you make good decisions about that. Now, here's some of the questions that we're going to be dealing with today. Dan, my daughter wants to go to Vanderbilt University. Should I encourage her? How about this? How do I get around the growing popularity of AI interviews? Now, that's artificial intelligence interviews. I'll tell you what's happening there, and they are exploding, where you may not talk to a real individual for the interview process. Well, somebody wants to know, should I go into the military or start my own business? Dan, I'd like to know some of your strategies for keeping focus and persevering when life gets rough or you are feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. How do you stick to a goal when you keep getting defeated when trying to accomplish this goal? How do you come up with long-time goals when you're not sure what you're currently doing is the right fit for you? Now, some of these questions came from college students. I spoke to a group of students uh, this week from the University of Mississippi. And some of these questions, we're going to roll right in here because they were so good. How do you come up with long-time goals when you're not sure what you're currently doing is the right fit for you? I find myself in a position where sometimes I think I outgrow friends in terms of aspirations. These are perfectly good people. We get along just fine. So is it okay to let them go? Dan, some people choose to not make a decision at all because they're scared of making the wrong decision. What do you have to say to those who don't make a decision? And then how do you personally not separate your work and worship as stated in 48 days? Now, we'll get through as many of those as possible, move on beyond those if we have time, but uh, just some great questions, most of those coming from college students this week. Got some others starting off here, but most of this coming from college students. Now, here's our quotation. This comes from Thomas Sowell, who is a former professor at Stanford University, who said, too much of what is called education is little more than an expensive isolation from reality. Ouch. Now, we're going to circle back around that with some of the opening questions today. Now, our resource for today is the 48 days goal setting planning. Here's the deal. Well, let me give you the the source for that. If you go to 48days.com slash goals, you'll get that free worksheet to help you work through what you want 2020 to look like. Now, here's the caveat. By the time you're listening to this, we're already past the ideal time to have your goals in place. That being my ideal time to have goals in place is November 14th. That happens to be 48 days before the new year starts. I want that much lead time to be really crystal clear on what I want the next year to look like. 
And you can do the same. You can put yourself in the driver's seat by identifying what do you want the next year to look like and being clear on that. Now, here's <laughs> the counterpoint is if you're not setting goals, you're going to be helping somebody else achieve theirs, period. That's just a simple fact. If you don't have your own goals set, you're going to be helping somebody else achieve theirs because there's enough people around you who do have clear goals. They'll welcome you just coming alongside them if you, in fact, you allow yourself to be in that position. Well, here's just a fun note. I didn't really pull good news items because we've got so much to cover today, but I, I got one thing that keeps popping up. It's one of those things where I, I checked on it and then having checked on it, you know, pops up in my social media feed. Boom, here it is everywhere. But I love new inventions. You know, I love these new things where somebody put some ingenuity together, came up with something. Well, now we've got a smart mug. This is, it's called the Ember Mug, E-M-B-E-R. You can check it out, Ember Mug. It does more than simply keep your coffee or tea hot. It allows you to set the exact drinking temperature you want. So your coffee is never too hot or too cold. When you can set it and it'll, it'll keep it that way for, you know, an hour and a half. You can also, this thing's pretty sophisticated. You can also set it from your phone. So there's an app you can set it when you're, you've got your phone where you can raise the temperature in the coffee cup in another room or have it set to come on at a particular time of day. I mean, all those fun things. Anyway, just, you know, a little invention. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know that as soon as you put your coffee or tea in a mug, it's going to start it's going to start cooling down. It's not as hot anymore. And if you have a phone conversation, you come back to it 15 minutes later, eh, it's kind of lukewarm. Well, this keeps it exactly the temperature that you want. Just a cool idea. Now, one of you should have come up with that. Well, perhaps you did. Let me know if you're the inventor, but those are the kind of things that we all have those ideas and see a better solution. Well, some people take action and somebody invented the Ember Mug. Now, last night I was sitting at the bar now, that's a pretty strange way for me to start anything. I'm the least likely guy in the world to sit at a bar, but I did. So here, here's the setup. Joanne's out of town right now. She's spending time in Florida with a friend. And so I'm by myself. So I decided to go to one of our favorite restaurants and get a salad that I really like. And I walked in and the hostess said, well, we don't have any tables open at all right now. She said, it'd be about a 15 minute wait. But if you want to go sit at the bar, you can, because it's totally open. Lots of seats available. Well, I'm not a sit at the bar kind of guy. I mean, I'm, I'm not into the big screens that they have up for sports. I've never had a beard in my life, you know, and I'm not one to just enjoy idle chit chat with somebody I don't know. But I thought, well, that's okay. I'll do something different. So I went and sat there were plenty of seats available, so I wasn't even sitting near somebody. But I sat there, and sure enough, guy right around the corner, his opening line, here, here's his, you know, his pickup line, I guess, for a conversation, for lack of a better term, was, golly, I looked over, and I thought I was sitting next to Rudy Giuliani. Now, I've never had anybody say that about me, but for some reason, it struck me. Seemed that I appeared to look like Rudy Giuliani, I guess. Not somebody I'd want to be right now. I'd rather have my life than Rudy Giuliani's right now with all the hot things going on in 
Washington, D.C. But anyway, so we, we started a conversation. Well, one thing led to another. You know, he's just brand new to the area, just moved to Brentwood, Tennessee because of a job. Uh, he's divorced. Uh, he has a 15-year-old daughter. Now, we had a lot of this conversation um, before there was any kind of, you know, when we were just having a conversation at the bar. You know how that goes. So we didn't introduce each other or anything. We just started talking. Well, he has a 15-year-old daughter, and he said his goal is to have her go to Vanderbilt University. I said, well, that's interesting. You know, does she want to be a medical doctor? Does she want to be a dentist? You know, what are her? Well, she wants to be a school teacher. I said, really? You know, what, what grade would she like to teach? Well, maybe like third or fourth grade. I said, well, that's a, that's a pretty fancy, you know, degree to have that as a goal to teach in the third or fourth grade. Well, he went right into how having a degree from Vanderbilt is so valuable. You know, she's going to be the top pick for getting into any school system she wants. And I gently said, you know, she could probably get a job with pretty much a degree from anywhere because schools are so desperate to get teachers these days. They aren't really going to be too picky as to where she got a degree. Well, no, that that degree is really important. That's what he wants for her, his only child, and he knows that it's going to be a big sacrifice. I said, yeah, really? I said, you're talking about a quarter of a million dollars for a, a $40,000 a year job? I mean, how, how do you how do you figure the out the ROI on that? That's a really expensive degree for that kind of a career goal. Well, we, we <laughs> went on from there. As it turns out, he kept asking more and more questions about my perspective and what I do. And ultimately, I told him that I you know, write and help people in this space and that I wrote a book and that I just had a conversation with a bunch of college students that afternoon because they're using one of my books as their textbook. And he asked, what book is that? And I said, 48 Days to the Work You Love. And he about dropped to the floor. He says, you got to be kidding me. He said, that book had a profound impact on me. He said, I read that book. You're Dan Miller? Well, anyway, we went on from there. But the point is, here's the deal. I did a little checking after I got home, and I looked at what does it currently cost to go to Vanderbilt University? Vanderbilt University for 2019 2020. So if you're starting right now in the fall of 2019, the cost is seven. I didn't know I'm not making this up. The cost is $71,723. That's the average to be a student at Vanderbilt. So if we take four years of that, now we, we know the price is going to go up, but if it, four years static at that, it's going to be $286,892. Now, with the increases and looking back four years, the increases are going to put that well above $300,000. Now, what's the average pay for a fourth grade teacher? I also checked on that. Information readily available, just put in. You know, average pay for a fourth grade teacher is $43,224 per year. Now, to me, that's a pretty tough formula to make work to pay $300,000 for a degree where your annual salary is going to be 43000 
Now, again, granted, in four years, it may go up a little bit, and his daughter is currently 15 years old, so both figures are going to go up a little bit, but they're going to be relatively comparable in terms of the disparity between the two. Now, those who, of course, I, I would hope beyond anything that you would be able to get through college with no student loan debt. But, and I, I asked this daddy about that. Well, he's willing to do whatever it takes, meaning he's willing to sign on student loans or help his daughter get those to get through so she gets that degree. I think that's a horrible, horrible setup. And um, frankly, I don't think it's kind parental advice. If you're going to borrow, you should never borrow more than you expect to make in one year's income. So that would mean for this gal to borrow $43,000, that means there's still a gap of $250,000. Well, why do kids, parents send their kids to Vanderbilt? Now, is that kind of a degree really that much superior to another degree? And I know probably I'm going to offend some people because of your Ivy League degrees here. I mean, I went to the Ohio State University. You know, not, not a slouch university, but I went there because of the cheapest thing for a farm kid in Ohio to do. I mean, that was my selection process. I didn't rank the colleges. I ranked where could I go to get away from the farm and get a degree of some kind and move on with my life. Why do parents send kids to Vanderbilt? Well, I think primarily for bragging rights at the country club. Now, here's I'm going to put a link in the show notes for uh, just a source that I use for 20 tuition free colleges, 20 tuition free colleges. And there's so much available out there. We've talked about, you know, young guys like Joshua who spent 20 hours a week for seven months, trained himself in software development, got a position at over a hundred thousand dollars, having never gone to college, never stepped foot in a college, never paid for a class. He went through free tutorials that are online. There's tons of information. Here's the thing we have to get away from. Information is free. Information has very, very little value. Our academic system was built on the idea that we needed to memorize information and have it in our head. Well, we know today that's not true. That has no value at all. I mean, if you want to know the capital of Russia, I I don't know what it is, but I'll tell you what, in three seconds I can find out by asking Siri on my phone. I mean, why would I, why why would I have to, golly, this is really, I I remember memorizing a whole lot of mathematic formulas and then geometry and algebra and trigonometry and all that. Why would you have to do that today when we have access to all that information instantly? Periodic table, you want to know what the what the symbol for gold is? Boom, just look it up. Information stored in your head has absolutely no value today. What does are other things, problem-solving skills, you know, how we would approach you know, sending a spaceship to the moon. I mean, there's certainly still things that we need to learn how to do. But just absolute memorization just doesn't have any value. So that being said, do you need a degree? Well, I, I'm glad I've got the degrees that I've got. And I've got you know plenty of traditional degrees. Times have changed a little bit. My recommendation to my children would certainly be different. I have three 
children. My two sons did not go to college. My daughter did as multiple degrees. I'm happy for the choices all of them made because it fit them personally. But do you need, in essence, what, what about somebody who goes two years in college and then drops out? Of course, we got the stories about Michael Dell and Bill Gates and Richard Branson, and a whole lot of other people who did exactly that. But, you know, sometimes people think, well, you need that degree as a fallback. I'm not sure what that means in today's environment as a fallback. I mean, all the major companies have announced that they no longer require college degrees. If it's Google, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, we go on and on and on with companies that said, we really don't require it anymore because we've recognized there's not a correlation between somebody who makes a really great employee or leader in our company and having a degree that they may have gotten 10 years ago when things are changing so fast. So we know that. So, but people still say, well, you need it as a fallback. What does that mean? If you do something that has value for a company, for any organization, there's your ticket. Go anywhere you want to. As long as you know what it is you do that has value, can produce that, boom, you're going to get opportunities. As a fallback in today's economy, saying I need a, a college degree as a fallback, I mean, it's almost like saying, um, well, it's almost like saying, you know, gee, I need a horse out in the garage in case my car doesn't work. Really? Is that the solution you would actually go to? Well, Anyway, you know, there, there are schools out there. I'll move on here. I want to get into some of these questions from college kids, but, you know, there are schools out there like Berea College. Now, we're real familiar with that. It's in Berea, Kentucky. Um, it's a private liberal arts college, provides degrees, 28 fields. My mother-in-law went there. She was poor mountain girl. She went there. Um, they still have a, have a program where there, there's no tuition, but every student is required to work at least 10 hours a week in campus approved jobs. So the functionality of the university is based on students who are working to take care of things. So you don't have outside paid professional landscapers. The students are doing that. You know, you don't have cooks. The students are doing that. You don't have a paid library and the students are doing that. And it's just one of those models, but many of them out there, again, I'll put a link to those 20 universities that have no tuition that are readily available. Now I know that this guy, I know this is a tough issue and I feel like I spent too much time um, talking through this. And these are individual decisions that need to be made, but keep in mind, things are changing. As I'm working on the 20th anniversary edition of 48 days to the work you love, I'm introducing some of these concepts in there because things are changing. We can't just assume things are the same as they were 20 years ago or 10 or five Things are changing that quickly. Well, here's here's a, here's a related question. This comes from John, who says, "John, I enjoy." Or John says, "Dan, I enjoy your pro broadcast. Your book has been super helpful. Looking forward to the updated book you're working on. In your research on the future of job interviews, do you have any advice for first round interviews that are conducted by an AI algorithm used to screen out candidates, such as Hire View?" What can job seekers do to get an interview with someone who has the authority to hire or even get a job with these companies without giving up facial and voice recognition data and our rights to that data? Thanks for everything you do. Now, here's what John's referring to. And this is, I mean, this is exploding. If you're not familiar with it, there's a whole lot of companies that are using video technology. They're using artificial intelligence to screen candidates. And here's why. I mean, with 
the workplace like it is right now. Let's say that you have somebody who you need to fill a position for data processing. Well, that's kind of a generic thing. And so you put that out there on one of the job sites and you get a thousand candidates. The thousand candidates all look exactly the same. They all have similar backgrounds. They all have a college degree from somewhere. How in the world are you going to go through that many candidates? What they're doing, and this would be like higher view, that's H-I-R-E-B-U-E. That's one of the the AI screening processes that's out there. There's a lot more. There's Spark Hire, there's VidCruiter, there's Aspiring Minds, there's more. But these are technology software programs whereby you do the interview just on the computer and it asks you questions. And then based on your responses, it are it artificially and automatically segments out what you've put in as your preferences. So it'll take those thousand candidates. They all, you know, without any time of your own spent, no HR involvement at all. Those candidates do the interviews and it'll give you the top five candidates. Now this seems like a pain and a neck to those candidates, but for you as a recruiter or a hiring manager, yeah, it's an efficient system. Does it give you the best candidate? I don't know. I mean, that's pretty hard. I mean, to me, there are so many individual variables when you meet an individual. It seems like a pretty artificial process to eliminate people just based on this. Now, we know that a whole lot of people are going to get eliminated because, gee, they blinked their eyes too many times or they didn't smile enough or, you know, some of those things because it's based on facial recognition. But here's some of the questions that those kind of systems are likely to ask you. Pretty common questions, but, you know, why don't you tell me about yourself? Well, that's pretty unstructured and it's going to be looking at several things. You know, the impression you make when interacting with people on the job, how articulate or confident you are, you know, what, what you see as in terms of where you've come from. Now, if you're going to answer something like that, you want to, you know, focus on your most recent employment and explain why you're well qualified for the position in question here. You know, then have a story ready that illustrates your best professional qualities. But those are the kind of things, you know, you can prepare to handle these kind of interviews really well. Now, I'm going to to come back to John's question here in a second, but let me tell you a couple other questions. You're going to be asked things like, what's your greatest weakness? Well, that's kind of a catch-22 to answer that question, but they're going to ask that. Tell me about a situation where you did not get along with a superior. Describe a situation where you were part of a failed project. What do you like to do when you're not working? See, even like that, I mean, they they can tap into questions that are illegal to ask, you know, gee, do you go to church on Sunday? You know, are you married? But if they ask questions like that, what do you do when you're not working? You're likely to tell them exactly that information without them asking specifically. And they may ask things like, why did you leave your last position? So you have to be prepared to answer those kind of questions. Now, John's question was, you know, how do we get around that? Well, if you're interviewing with those companies that just put those things out there as their screening method, you can't. You've got to go jump through the hoops. You've got to do exactly what they're asking or else you're not going to be considered at all. Now, there are exceptions to that. Yes, if you know what company, what company it really is, you can walk in the front door 
and ask to see somebody. You can be in the parking lot at 645 in the morning, knowing that the CEO is going to pull in there and talk to that person and get an interview or bypass an interview if you make an impression on them. So there's still those creative things that I talk a lot about in 40 days that you can do. But if you are going through the normal process of looking for jobs and you're responding to ZipRecruiter, Monster.com, those kind of places for those jobs, those places are going to be screening thousands of applicants. And you do have to know how to get through these hoops if, in fact, you're going to be a, a viable candidate. Well, great question. Let's move on. My goodness. Wes says, uh, Dan, I'm currently a senior marketing management major at the University of Memphis. <clears throat> I've really enjoyed the content you've been posting. Your book was great, extremely helpful. Like many college seniors, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want to do as a career. I used to own a small digital marketing business during my first two years of college. And after that, I've had different internships with marketing, business consulting, and sales. For the past year, I've been contemplating different directions about a career, and I've seriously thought about doing full-time Christian ministry, becoming a military officer, or finding a business job at a good company. I pretty much decided that I would like to go the non-traditional route and be a business owner once I find an opportunity to make that happen. The reason I would want to do that is to impact the community and people. That would be my career goal. However, I think I want to get work experience before I dive into that. So here's my question. I have two options after graduating are trying to get a job at a company in sales or marketing or trying to become an officer in the military. Now it goes through some other things. Let me just stop there and just respond to this. Um, you know what, Wes, when you describe your options, they're pretty divergent. You list three doing full-time Christian ministry, becoming a military officer or or starting your own business. Wow, those don't really fall much in the same camp, although they kind of can. Frankly, if if you would be good and enjoy being in the military, I question whether you would be good and enjoy having your own business. Those are two pretty divergent models. Being in the military, you know, you're told when to get up, when to stand up, sit down, go to sleep, eat, and go to the bathroom. I mean, that's not the kind of environment that energizes people who want to be entrepreneurs. So I question that you could just artificially choose one or the other of those. I think those are very, very divergent. Now, here's the other thing. Let's say that you'd, let's say, and I commend you for saying that, you know, you might be better off to work for a company for a couple of years to get the work experience. That's, that's true. Now you describe that going in the military is a six year commitment. That's a long time. If you go in right out of college, boy, that's going to involve those years where you're probably looking at getting married, you know, other things that be established in terms of your career path and to then come out. Yeah, I don't think that's going to set you up to really launch you in having a business on your own or for any other particular career path necessarily. So if you really have the entrepreneurial bug, I'd recommend you get a job with a company for a couple of years. Yeah. Learn on their nickel and then be planning what it is you want to do. The fact that you've already had your digital marketing business, you've done some other things on your own. Why, why are you procrastinating doing something on your own if you've already proven your ability to do those things. And you can 
also combine a couple here by, you can be in full-time ministry and have your own entrepreneurial business. Now, I don't see those as being separate. What most people think, you know, full-time ministry means you're not creating any kind of revenue and you're asking other people for donations to try to do something worthwhile and humanitarian. Well, what if you did that and you had your own business to fund it? I mean, I, I hope, certainly hope that I'm in full-time ministry because I want everything that I do to serve other people well. But I want in doing that and serving other people well to also have the resources then where I can give generously and support things that I think are worthwhile. So I think you can do a couple of those without having to see them as mutually exclusive. All right, let me move in. Now, yesterday I did a session with a group of students from University of Mississippi. Uh, Dr. Randy Little is a professor there uh, at Mississippi State University. Oh, you know what? I've been saying that wrong. University of Mississippi. Okay, anyway, it's Mississippi State University is where it is. Mississippi State University. And really energetic class. He sets them up well. They use 48 Days as their textbook, so they come in with all kinds of questions. And boy, did they come full barrels. Just great questions. Great questions. Uh, one of the things that we're right out of the gate asking about, you know, what are the job trends? What are we going to see in the next three or four years? What are we going to see? And I shared with them the input that I'm getting from our 40 days audience about updates we wanted in the new book is are not how to do a better resume, how to interview better, how to negotiate salary, but there are more things like how do I do that 15 hours a week thing that you talk about where I can create have a side business of my own. Even if I take a job with a, a normal company, how can I do that? How can I take my artistic talents and make money from those? Gee, I'm creative, I'm artistic, I'm musical, you know, whatever it is. How can I make money from those things? That, those are the kind of things that people are looking at. And those are, in fact, legitimate opportunities for the changing workplace that we've got. And then one of the things that I'm going to develop as well is how do we get past the upper limit challenge? If you grew up on a farm, and a lot of these kids did that I was talking to in this class, and you're used to seeing mom and dad you know, eke out a living, making $30,000 a year, you know, living out in the country and just having a little farm, you may have a hard time getting your head around an opportunity that would provide $80,000 for you. There's an upper limit challenge there. Uh, sometimes we, we quest, we sabotage our opportunities to move up when it's a dramatic move up like that. That's the upper limit challenge. I'll be addressing that as well. Now, one of their questions was they need to do in career informational interviews where they find at least three individuals in positions that are uh, positions that they are aspiring to. What should they ask those people? Well, so I gave them some questions, you know, to what do you attribute your success? What's the most important lesson you ever learned? What's the legacy you want to leave? Uh, what's your most important habit? What's exciting to you right now? How would you spend $100,000 to improve your business if you had a, what's the most important personal characteristic in your life that has helped you succeed? Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? You know, what support or encouragement can I offer you to help you succeed? Well, those are the kind of questions that just went through some to, to help them formulate questions and I'll, I'll put these in the notes. I know I went through those rapidly. If those are important to you, certainly you can do that. Those are the same kind of questions that I would recommend. If you are just want to pick the brain of somebody who's very successful, 
So you have a chance to sit down and have lunch with a millionaire. What are the questions? I'll put those, I'll put those in the, in the notes today just to give you a refresher on those if those are interesting or important to you. Well, hey, just a quick reminder here that uh, this is a pretty typical podcast setup where we've got a whole lot of questions. They come in in a variety of ways. Sometimes when I speak to groups, I spoke to a group of authors this last week as well. They had a lot of questions. Maybe sometime we'll deal with those more specifically. These having come from college students fall right in this career camp. So that's what we've got lined up. But if you've got a question, you can shoot that into me. I'd love to see that. I'm honored to get your questions that we can unpack together. So you can send that in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, that's askdan at 48days.com. So Lene says, on a Wheel of Life and 48 Days website, and in the book, you've got a section entitled Personal Development. And we're to rank ourselves in that category from one to 10. How do you define personal development? How do you separate it from other aspects in the wheel, such as career, spiritual, social, physical? Okay, so personal development. I mean, yes, I've got goals every year. I mean, right now I'm, uh, I'm spending time on a keyboard. I'm learning to play the piano. It's just one of those things that interests me. I want more music in my life. So I'm learning how to play the piano. I'm getting pretty good at house of the rising sun right now. I got some chords go with that. Pretty cool. How that's coming together with some of the, the software again, that's available to make you appear better than you are, but having fun with that. But, but something like that would be something that you would put into personal development. You might want to join a mastermind where you spend time with other people and kind of share life together. You may decide that you want to read 12 great books. They could be classics. They could be contemporary books and whatever you choose, but you may decide 12 great books you want to read in 2020, one a month. You might want to join a book discussion group or decide that you're going to go to a professional conference or seminar. Those would be things that you could put in that category. Those all come in that personal development category. Um, uh, Lene also asked, if we are to retake the personality test and get a different result in the first attempt, would that mean we're a good fit in multiple occupations? If so, how would you suggest choosing between two different career routes? Well, no. The personality profile should stay the same. If it comes up different, dramatically different, there's something that affected how you were taking it, what your mindset was, or something like that. But no, it should be constant. So, but but here's the thing. Don't force the personality profile to become more real than you, the person. It's just a computerized program. You answer some questions, it spits out a a printed report. It's pretty cool, but it's one small piece of information. So do what you need to do to understand yourself well enough to know really what is true about you. And that may involve taking some other profiles. I mean, take not only the disc, which is the one that we recommend, but take the Myers-Briggs, take the Fascination Index, the Enneagram, which is so popular right now, Strength Finders. I mean, do all of those. And from all of those, and, and I do, I mean, anything new that comes down the pike, I'm on it. I do it readily. So see those as continued input and continued self-understanding, but not as one indicator for exactly what you need to do career-wise, though I would never use it in that way. Well, this comes from Caden, who says, I'd like to know some of your strategies to keep 
focus and persevering when life gets rough or you're feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. Well, I don't have a whole lot of time when I'm feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. I mean, I know I'm one of these half glasses half full kind of guys, but I'm just optimistic. I expect good things. I mean, I told a group the other day, I'm a reverse paranoid. I have the suspicion that everybody around me is trying to help me. I mean, I don't think they're there to turn, tear me down. I think they're there to help me. So my mindset has a lot to do with that, but I watch what I allow into my mind. And as you know, I was impacted greatly as a 13 year old farm kid by the little Earl Nightingale audio the strangest secret where the principle is we become what we think about. So what we think about tends to be our dominant thoughts. We move into what it is we're thinking about. So I protect the first two hours of the day. I'm very careful, positive, pure, clean, wholesome input in that period of time. So I'm, I'm set for the day then for whatever else comes along. Now, are there things that I would like to change? You know, things that frustrate me? Well, Sure. Obviously, there's, I'm living in a real world like all of you, but I don't dwell on those things. I, mean, I don't just get stuck there and get wrapped into worry and frustration, anger, resentment. If there's something that I can't change, I move on to something else and allow that to work itself out. As, we, as I talked about last week, you know, I did a podcast interview with my son, Kevin, on The Ziggler Show, and we talked about changing our verbiage from victim, victim talk saying, I have to, I've got to, I need to. Just change those two. I get to, I choose to, I'm going to. And then um, the late Sean Stevenson had a phrase that I really like. He says, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. So there may be something in your current situation that you could plug into that. This is not happening to me. This is happening for me. And I've got a situation right now I'm tracking. It's been a frustrating situation. I'm tracking. I've got a 196-page document where I've tracked every interaction that's happened with the players in this situation. I don't know what the end result is going to be, but I'm confident that this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. That somehow this entire story, this entire saga is going to have an end result where I can see clearly this happened for me, not to me. Shelby says, how do you stick to a goal when you keep getting defeated when trying to accomplish the current goal? Well, recognize, Shelby, the progress. Look at the gain, not the gap. Here's a quick example, and this is a great question for this, this time of year. So let's say that, let's say that last year you made $50,000, and this year, 2019, your goal was to make 80,000. That's a pretty big increase, but let's just say it was that. So here we are, November, almost the end of the year, you're at 70,000 and you don't see the opportunities coming in. They're going to give you that kind of increase. You really know you're going to end the year at maybe 72,000, not 80. Did you fail? Is that a failure? Is that a discouragement? My goodness, you didn't hit the goal. Yes, that's true. I like that you had a high goal. But what about the growth from 50 to 72? That's monumental. Congratulations. That's what I look at. I always look at the gain, not the gap. I mean, I set goals so that I have about a 50-50 chance of hitting those. I, I don't want to have them so low that I can easily reach them. I want to have them high, so I'm going to stretch. I mean, I'd be upset 
if I ever hit all my goals in a given year. But I look at the increase, and the increase is pretty interesting to look at over the years. And I've moved forward dramatically in some major areas, important areas, because of the increase. Great question. Well, somebody asked me in this college group, what do you feel your greatest success is? And I said, oh my goodness, without question, it's being a husband and a daddy and a papa. I mean, we, we it, it's, it's not, I'm not going to identify something I've done in business. I mean, I've loved the things that I've been able to do there, but my greatest success, nah, that comes right down to my personal family. When I see what my kids are doing and now what they're kids are doing, my grandkids. Wow. I mean, that really gets me excited. Uh, We have a a text train going with my three children at their request. Now they're grown children. They have families of their own, but at their request, we have a text train going that is just the three of them. They didn't even want their spouses to be in that just the three of them and mom and dad. You know, if I'm involved in a meeting somewhere or speaking somewhere, it's not unusual for me to open my phone. I have 36 new messages. Well, I know what those are. They're in our family text. What's happening? I mean, every day there's tons of stuff in there. We still share life together. I'm intimately involved in the life of my children and what they're doing. They run things by me. I mean, I love that connection. That's more meaningful than anything I've accomplished in business. Well, Matthew says, how do you come up with long-time goals when you're not sure what you're currently doing is the right fit for you? Well, here's, here's the deal on that. Matthew, all you have to do is ask yourself, or let me, I'll just ask you this. If we were meeting three years from today, what has to have happened during that three-year period for you to feel happy about your progress? So we immediately look to three years out, not just what's happening today. Today may be, you may be doing something today that's not thrilling for you. But if you really believe that it is preparing you for something you want to be doing three years from now, that has a lot of value. And I've talked recently about time when I spent in graduate school. Well, in that period of time, my goodness, I drove an old ugly car, you know, and I was doing things. Eh, I wasn't real thrilled about it. Golly, a lot of the classes were boring. You know, I knew that my professors were not business people. They weren't doing the kind of things that I wanted to do. I was just putting in the time to, you know, repeat back, regurgitate what they wanted to hear and filling out the forms, you know, so I could move through and complete that program and go on. But I was confident that the time investment, the energy, the study, and all that was preparing me for where I wanted to be three years out, preparing me for new opportunities. Now, again, That may sound counterintuitive to what I started off the show today talking about college degrees. It wasn't that I was going to get a piece of paper so I could get a better job. Never. My degrees, the only purpose for my degrees were for personal growth and development. And I knew I could. There were some really significant things that happened in my graduate programs that I still draw on heavily today in my coaching. It never open the door to get a job. That was never an issue, but it did help me understand some of the principles that I use today in my coaching. Well, a couple more here. This one, um, I was wondering if you'd dive into some more about who you surround yourself with. I find myself in a position where sometimes I think I outgrow friends and aspirations. These are perfectly good people. We get along just fine. So it's okay to let, so is it okay to let go? Well, yes, it is. And that's not to diminish friendships that you've had. You may have friendships 
that you had in high school, but now in my high school, my high school, there were, there were 30 students in my little high school, two people in that class moved away. 28 stayed right there, got jobs in local factories, put in there 30 years, retired, they're finished. Two people moved away. One being me, obviously, but Am I still friends with them? Yeah, I'm still friends with them. Am I going to spend big chunks of time with them? Probably not. Our interests, our goals are very, very different. So I can still be friends from a distance, but I can set boundaries on how much time I'm going to invest with people who are at a much different place in life than I am. So I can choose new people who are going to cheer me on, you know, hold my arms up when I'm tired. And all those kind of things. So certainly you can do that. And as you change and grow, chances are really strong that you're going to want to find some new friends. Christina asks, did you ever have doubts about what God's plan for your life was? How did you personally specifically handle those doubts? You know, this, I don't, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant in any way, but, but I've really never had any doubts about that. And I've done a lot of different things. So if I was selling cars or washing windows, or doing remodeling projects, or having a recreational vehicle, rental business, or had a health and fitness center, or an auto accessories business, you know, or writing books, or teaching, or coaching. And I've never had any doubts in doing any of those things that I was in God's will. It just, I've never framed it as such. You know, as I talked about last week, I think, you know, being in, in God's will gives us a lot of latitude. It's like, yeah, you need to be on a cruise ship, but my goodness, there's 4,000 rooms. You get to pick your room. So I think I've been on the cruise ship of being in God's will since day one, even though I've had a lot of different things that I've done in terms of work-wise in there. I mean, being God's will involves a whole lot more than just what we're doing to create income. So it, it goes way beyond that. And uh, you can be confident that you're moving in the right direction, even if you choose to change career. I mean, when I work with a dentist, a physician, accountant, engineer, attorney, pastor, and we decide to do something that looks to the outside like they really made a 180 kind of change, it is, it's never that. We, we still go back. And if you have that framework to identify vocation, career, and job, it still gives us the freedom to change the job dramatically without changing the vocation or calling or knowing you're in God's will. You can change careers multiple times and still be under that umbrella without any problem at all. Well, yeah, golly, I'm looking at the time here. That's where we're going to, that's where we're going to have to wrap things up is right there because we are just about out of time, but I want to remind you again about our, the resource Please, 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 not for my sake, but for yours. I mean, there, there's, it's a free resource. You can do whatever you want to with it. You can write it out, get frustrated, and throw it in the fireplace. But pull up that worksheet for your 2020 goals. Just think through it. Don't think that somehow setting goals takes the spontaneity out of life. No, it gives you a direction to excel. And without that, you're definitely going to fall into helping somebody else fulfill their goals. That's okay too, but just have your eyes open about what's happening. But pull that up. Just go to 48days.com slash goals and you can pull that up for your use. You can have that help you see yourself in the driver's seat to help make 2020 the year you want it to be. 
It doesn't matter if you're, now we've been talking about questions that came from those who are 18 and 20 years old today for the most part. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 38 or 68 or 88. The, the same issues, the same opportunities are available for all of us. So it's right there in front of us. We are going to either choose to decide what we want 2020 to look like, or we're going to drift into it and then feel victimized because we're helping somebody else fulfill their dreams. Well, hey, I hope this has been encouraging. If you have, if, if you're a college student, I mean, we have lots and lots of, we have a big segment of the 48 Days audience that's between 18 and 35 years old. Now, if you're in that age group, I hope this has given you some things to think about. If you're a parent of one of those, I hope it's given you fodder for some great conversation with your kids. If you're a grandparent, golly, be looking at, I mean, think about the excitement of not being able to know what a three-year-old is going to do. I mean, we have no conception of what opportunities there are going to be when a three or four-year-old is growing up. Well, good stuff, fun stuff. Thanks for being part of this community where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have an awesome week.